Welcome to the Ad Astra podcast. Today, we're going to have a special episode in the sense that we're talking about uh, resources for um, historians of astrology. So we're here with Philip Graves. Who welcome. Is, welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Philip is a independent researcher on the history of astrology and has gathered a vast collection of books, of astrology books, particular books uh, on the 19th, the 19th century, forward. So he has quite a collection of modern editions uh, of books that can be used for someone uh, researching in that period and the changes of astrology and the role of astrology in that period. So again, welcome. Welcome, Philip. Uh, Thank you very And you. let us know a little bit uh, about uh, yourself and, and the project that you're, you have engaged in. Right. Well, it, it really began almost by accident. Um, I started studying astrology as a kind of casual interest while I was a university undergraduate studying French. And um, it developed from there as I started to look for more um, sources using the bibliographers at the backs of the books I'd already bought. Um, I realized there was this vast history in the subject and um, there were a number of reprints being produced in those days by publishers such as Acela and um, Ballantrae Reprint. And um, also, obviously, there was Project Hindsight, which was active. So there was a great interest and fascination for me in researching the history of the subject from then onwards. And um, initially, because of limited means, I did only um, collect uh, late 20th century printings, albeit including reprints of earlier works. But um, I then branched out into the, um, into the earlier printing, sort of to begin with early 20th century, and then going back to the 19th, and eventually even to the 17th, and a few in the 16th, mm -hmm. when I had uh, the means to do so, which was in the 2000s. Okay, so how, um, when was it? Was it in the 80s or the 90s? It, it began in the 1990s. I think I bought my first uh, book on astrology in very early 1996, having previously received three as gifts the previous year. Mm -hmm. so. And um, how many books do you have at this point? I, I was really curious about this. That's a very good question. I think if you take the count of what I call edition volumes, which are unique volumes within a, a unique edition as distinct from total number of copies because there are some duplicates as a result of lots being purchased and donations that sort of thing i currently have just over 8000 edition volumes of of books and pamphlets that are not periodical in nature and where periodicals are concerned just over 12000 unique issues of mm. um, magazines and almanacs well, that's quite impressive. And um, uh, which one is uh, for you the most, um, well, they are all valuable, of course, but the one or are there one or you have a group? your crown jewel? Your, yes, point. your crown jewel. I, I wouldn't say I really had a, a crown jewel. Um, I was very pleased to get an original edition of um, Jean-Baptiste Morin's uh, Astrologia Gallica in the original Latin at auction when I had the means to do that, which was a sort of transient period of my life um, and um, so I, I certainly am very grateful for that because it's, it's just lovely when there have been all these translations of, of books here and there to have the whole um, Latin um, folio and um, to be able to see the, the early books which haven't been translated because they're not so astrological in, in theme and so on. 
Oh, that's 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 great. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Original, more. And uh, what about the earliest uh, publications that you have? You well, the earliest the earliest printed ones are uh, roughly fifteen fifty. I think I have a miniature edition of um, Claude um, Garland's um, uh, book on on. Um, uh, I can't remember what it's called now, but it's it's related to medical astrology. Mm -hmm. And um, and that that was that was quite a popular printing um, in the 16th century, and um, so they're not actually as expensive as you might expect. I think it was just a few hundred um, euros, which um, for books of that era on astrology actually is quite reasonable. But um, I also actually have a 16th century um, printing with me, but this is the later 16th century one, and this is um, Heinrich Ranzau's Tractatus Astrologicus. Mm. Yeah, and this is the 1594 edition, which was the second overall edition and the definitive edition in terms of content. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it was the basis of later reprints, so that that's quite a pleasing thing to have because it's um, it was it was widely reprinted in the early um, uh, 17th century as well. Does it have diagrams or text only? Uh, how is it? Um, it is. It's mostly actually solid Latin text. I can just. Yeah, typical. Yeah. Yes, yes. yes. So. Well, it was very difficult then to to in, to include like a horoscope or uh, any kind of diagram or table. It was really difficult. I said, I think um, Jerome uh, Cardan or Girolamo Cardano, as he's probably more formally known, and um, some of his books do have uh, quite extensive uh, natal diagrams in them, and there are other examples as well from the from the 16th century. Right. But that 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 uh, would make the 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 book more um, expensive because you know yeah, it was yes. kind of a physical uh, process to to put all the Absolutely. all the typos together. So <laughs> yeah. that, that's really I, I know what you're talking about. Cardan has uh, a collection of horoscopes, and yes. that that would be something for the printer. <laughs> that would be a challenge. Yes. Oh, I'm sure it was a huge a huge labor of love. A lot of these volumes to produce in the first place, and I imagine that the market for them must have been quite slight and limited to a fairly select uh, group of of people who um, had the means to afford them at that stage. Yeah. Yes. That's true. And so although we do find, uh, sometimes I'm surprised at the amount of circulation that some of these books had, because we think, well, this is an expensive item, of course, and it's not affordable to everyone. But I think most of, it, of them circulated in noblemen's um, uh, or convents or, or uh, churches, libraries, uh, college libraries, which would have been have the means to, to, to afford them. So it's really interesting to look on WorldCat and other um, library records, and you can actually see that even the most prized and sought after 16th century and 17th century astrology books are actually quite widespread in, in terms of um, the, the holdings that are found at, at libraries now. I suppose the libraries have had centuries to take requests and so on. So in some ways, the irony is that books of that era are more common in academic and public libraries than, than um, Minor works of the 20th century are. Yes. Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah, that is yeah. interesting. Yeah, and probably, and that's one of my next questions. Well, probably you have in your collection books, more uh, more recent books and pamphlets uh, that probably are very rare and are not widely available uh, in any common library, I suppose. 
That's true. Usually when um, I am looking at um, books which have been listed online on various book selling sites, I will investigate their um, rarity in libraries as part of my um, determination of whether the asking price is reasonable or not. And quite often um, booksellers are actually pretty naive and um, they will ask too much for something just because it's it's scarce, but actually there isn't the demand for to, to justify those prices. So one does have to be selective and to, to pass by some books that are, that are literally overpriced. But at the same time, one does find that there are um, some 20th century editions that are not held in any library at all in the United States or in, in the UK, if they're, for example, English language titles, which is World Cup would be the obvious place to go to for those. And um, in those cases, it's, it's very gratifying to um, to um, acquire books of that kind because then you kind of feel you're doing a bit for um, conserving that bit of astrological history. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, yes. And, and probably a few decades or even centuries onwards, there will be difficulty in finding some of the books that have been ignored in this process. I was thinking of a case that you probably are familiar with, um, the famous um, German collection of magazines, um, what's it called, the Zenit, Zenit. Um, which right. I've right. heard that there are very few complete collections of in those Germany. magazines. Uh, there's one in Germany, I <laughs> in think. In Germany, they were almost they were yeah. destroyed. Uh, uh, you mean Hubert Korsch's publications in it from the 1930s? Yes, mm. yes. Yeah. Okay, well, I have um, I have the majority of those in the 1930s. I think it ran from 1930 to 1938. Uh, what I don't have is the relaunch from the 1950s. Now, that really is difficult to get hold of at the moment. I imagine that it's partly a result of... Um, the market for astrology having shrunken during the Second World War. So there are a lot of 1950s publications which are actually more scarce than those in the 1930s, mm. I'm finding. But um, mm -hmm. I would say the 1930s ones are definitely the ones that are most in demand because a lot of famous astrologers were, were writing articles at that stage. So actually, when I started collecting German books, um, Zenit was one of the first things I went after, mm -hmm. um, but I still haven't completed it. So. Yeah. I think that's what I've heard from, from German scholars that there yes. are two, little more than two complete known collections of the magazines. One of them is at the Warburg, I suppose. One is the Warburgs, I think. Yeah. And yes. the other one I is in. That, that's the one I saw at the Warburg. Yeah. In one of the, the, the libraries in, in Germany, I don't recall exactly which one, but yes. it was a private um, the donation to the library, yeah. someone who managed to 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 cap this private collection so it wasn't affected by by any purge or political changes at the time so it's quite interesting and um and in, in this regard which one is well it's perhaps it's difficult to uh, to answer this but the rarest books that you have at this point the ones that you can see that are really really hard to find and you manage to get them I would say some of the very early um, American books that were distributed to a fairly narrow circle of enthusiasts and cheaply printed. They've had a poor survival rate. So, mm -hmm. um, for instance, there was an American astrologer called Frederick White. You don't tend to read about in the general histories of astrology much, unless mm -hmm. you read James Heschel Holden, who, of course, has catalogued pretty much everything that's been produced mm -hmm. in the United States. But um, general histories, you don't tend to find his name mentioned. But he edited what was actually, at the time, the longest-running American astrological magazine of the early 20th century called The Adept. Mm -hmm. 
The title doesn't even mention astrology in the main title, but the subtitle does. So um, I've collected, it was a monthly, I think, from 1898 to 1921. And I've so far collected about 105 original issues. And um, so I'm still missing over half of them. That's how difficult it is to collect. Mm -hmm. And he also wrote some um, short books, one of which was one of the early um, books uh, that took after. In the late 19th century, there was a movement to um, redevelop heliocentric astrology. And he wrote a book called Heliocentric Astrology. And that one I have not found the sale at all. There is a scan at a, an American library online which is free to download fortunately so it isn't lost. Um, but he also wrote a companion book called Geocentric Astrology and that one's extremely rare. I've seen just one copy for sale and I bought it. So mm. That is interesting. I never, yeah. saw, I never saw that. Uh, yeah, there, there's a lot of things that are well, forgotten I think. Uh, that's absolutely. the problem. Uh, completely forgotten from the early 20th century history which is yeah. just around the corner. For I must say, both, both those two books were from 1896. So it was the very end of the 19th century before he started his magazine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, that's, that's quite interesting. And I think, I think you're, you're doing a very good work in collecting this and making this uh, available uh, to a future researcher because I think it's going to be valuable. And this is something, of course, that gets valuable as the time passes because that's these right. books are getting rarer and rarer and they are preserved. And also, I think that you have to be sufficiently outside an historical period for it to become of sufficient interest to historians to become the focus of an academic study as well. I would say that to date, most of the effort that's been expended on studying the history of astrology has been limited to books up to and including um, the end of the 17th century. There's been comparatively little in any period since then. A small number of academic works, such as those by Patrick Curry, that have focused in detail on a selective range of authors from the 19th century, but even they haven't been at all comprehensive. So actually there, there's a vast um, area of history, of modern astrological history, that hasn't really been studied properly academically yet, I would say. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, yeah. uh, that we do have those studies from... Um, I would say the anglophone, uh, anglophone uh, areas, uh, but very little everywhere else. Yes, I can say that because I'm currently working throughout the 17th century. So when I reach the 18th century, yeah. it, we start to lose the picture because we you do not have deep uh, in-depth academic studies on, on how what happened, yes. what exactly happens with astrology at that point. That's, we just have a scattered history that pops in the nineteenth, late nineteenth century, with the esoteric movements. But you don't really know what's happening. Uh, yeah, that, that's very true. And I also think that there has been uh, a certain amount of of, of ignorance of um, the the course that astrology took between. Um, the 17th century and the 19th as well. And there's been a tendency to to simplify things and say, well, actually, astrology died out in Europe, but it didn't completely die out. I mean, if you actually look in um, British Library records or or on WorldCat, you will see there were assorted publications occurring here and there, not only almanacs, but mm -hmm. actual books. Um, so, for instance, in um, 1726. There was a new astrological textbook by Samuel Penser called um, The New Guide to Astrology, and that doesn't get talked about much. And um, 
from 1750 onwards, there's actually a, a scattering of, of astrological books which aren't almanacs appearing um, before uh, the, the, the great Sibley work of 1784 to 1788. So, in fact, definitely more research does need to be done into that, I think. Yes, and worldwide, I would think, yes. uh, because we, we do have the English world uh, more or less well, poorly accounted from what we're, we are saying here, and the rest is almost a blank. Uh, That's um, true. Yeah. What's happening in France, what's happening in Italy, which had a, a long history of astrological practice. Germany has a long history of astrological practice, as we see by the resurgence that we have in the early 20th century. So yes. there are all the other countries, what is happening? Even here in Portugal, uh, we have very, very little data. Um, about this, and we know that we had a, a very uh, active astrological community, at least in discussion, in the early uh, year, decades of the 20th century. Even now, one of our famous poets, Fernando Pessoa, was a dedicated astrologer, and he was studying, and there was a group of people of which we have no idea who they were exactly, what they were they producing, yeah. because no research has there's ever been book. done. There's a book. There's a couple of books, yes. yes um, and apparently, uh, this, this poet, Fernando Pessoa, had a direct contact and I think a friendship with Alistair Crowley. So there was this, you know, there was this kind of circulation. Circulation of information. Yes. Oh, well, absolutely. I mean, I, one thing I've noticed by, um, by collecting periodicals has been the degree to which the uh, astrological community was connected internationally, really from the late 19th century onwards. And even in the mid 19th century, we see examples, for instance, with um, um, Luke, I don't know if it's Brufton or Broughton, I don't know how to pronounce his, his surname, but he's one of the, um, the the leading American astrologers of the mid to late 19th century, and he corresponded with um, Zadkiel, um, Richard Morrison, who was the, the editor of Zadkiel's Almanac, and one of the, the major names of mid 19th century British astrology. So there was a lot of interest in um, communicating across uh, national boundaries, even before mm -hmm. it was, it was um, cheap and easy to actually travel to those places there was a postal service, so... Yes, there was a lot of correspondence that, going on. That is actually, that is actually um, in line with the tradition of astrology, because uh, medievalists like me, when we study the Mid Middle Ages, we always give astrology as an example yes. of intercultural um, discussions or scientific debates between Christians, Muslims and Jews. Yes. And in different in different countries, so they were like using this knowledge, the knowledge of the stars, yes. as a basis. And it doesn't mean that they didn't have their differences. Sometimes really difficult uh, situations between different religions, but they were like these men of science, and they were yes. mainly men. Um, they were like transcending that and mm -hmm. debating that. And mm -hmm. it's interesting to see that uh, even in the 19th century and then early and probably 18th century. I think this is yeah. something that we, we don't have much documentation about it, but mm -hmm. probably remained and yes. adapted to the um, new, yeah, to the I, new I time. Can, I can give you a 17th century example. Uh, um, Jean-Baptiste Morin, for example, had a widely corresponding network with several astrologers, even yeah. some yeah. from the New World, which he partially published. Uh, so, so it's very interesting, and I have no idea if those documents still exist, which would be wonderful to, 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 to look at and see. Yeah, I think it's it's a basic problem for historians of any period, really, uh, reading beyond the available surviving documentation and trying to understand what's going on in the background. And so, for instance, when you get to the 
revival of, of astrology that's in, in print form that really took off in the late 18th century and continued to gather momentum in the 19th, you can see evidence in the um, magazines that were being published in the very late 18th and early 19th centuries that actually there was still a, a fairly vibrant community of people who were um, studying the older texts at this time and and they would they would write in letters and say this and that in quite learned terms about um, uh, books that they knew they knew from the 17th century so and we also know for instance that um, one of um, Placido de Titus's um, great books of the 17th century the tabulae um, I can't remember the full name now because it's not it's not written down in front of me but um, one of his one of his two major uh, natal works anyway um, that was privately translated by somebody as a job for the owner of an original copy of the Latin edition and that was quite an undertaking and this then became the basis of all um, the English translations that were then published in the in the um, very late uh, 18th and early 19th century yeah Yes, yes, yes. Yes, and this is this brings us back to to your collection and the importance of your collection and private collections for academic research, mm -hmm. because probably a researcher of these periods of these periods uh, would find um, in sources that are not in any other. There are nowhere to be found except uh, probably in your collection. So mm -hmm. this is kind of. No, that's it. And, and then while collecting, you're gathering, you're automatically making a list of available sources. And that's true, yes. I'm, I'm gathering research and um, I'm noting down mentally or even in, in actual notes um, sources, which if I was able to find them for sale, I would want to add to the collection to later dates. So mm -hmm. it's an ongoing process. And I, I would say that in addition to there being some sources that are very difficult to find anywhere in a, in a public library, there are also many that are scattered across so many different libraries that mm. from a practical point of view there's a there's a huge advantage to researchers in having a lot of sources relevant to one subject under a single roof and so that's another another reason i wanted to um have a collection that covers as wide a ground as possible historically and internationally in terms of the different languages that are represented in it Actually, at some point, um, you mentioned I, I should um, bring a few books up. I've got a few examples of books written in, in different languages beyond um, Ransau, which obviously is, is Latin. Um, so I'd, I wondered if it would be a good time just to oh, yes, show a few up to the camera. Yes. Okay. Particularly from thinking of you both, I've got something here which is actually in Portuguese. This is Brazilian oh, Portuguese. And this is you an cannot... early... Can you see a little bit closer? Let me see. Oh, let me get... Let me get my glasses. Augusta Faria. Augusta Faria, yes. Oh, okay, I know. Wow, know. interesting. What is it? Yes. So this More is... like your period, not my... Yes. This was published, apparently, in Brazil. I see, very okay. interesting. Augusta Faria, is I've... the editor or the author? What, what date is that one? It's, I think, around 1930s. Um, very early 1930s, maybe. Let's have a check. Um, sorry, no, 1937. Okay, okay. I've heard about it, but uh, I have never 
actually see a copy no, of it. That's quite And fantastic. what is it inside? Uh, is it well, just a book of for learning astrology, or is it like? It's, it's very difficult because I don't have good Portuguese. I mean, I did oh. I did literally one year of Spanish at university, and obviously Portuguese looks similar to um, Spanish, but it does have differences. And my Spanish is very basic, so I was really hoping that might be something which one of you could. Um, Sure. To, could just help with it on stage. It's a little bit of an enigma for me at the moment, I must can say. You, can you put it a little bit closer? It's difficult. Yeah, sorry, I'll try and find a, a page that appears to be. Okay, here I've got Planetas e Signos. Planetas e Signos, yes. yes. The planets in the signs, of well, course. Yes. It, uh, so it's doctrine. Okay, it's it, 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 probably a manual. Yeah. Uh, I'll what what uh, we can see, if you can uh, take a photo or print of the index, mm -hmm. and then we can translate the index for you. Yeah, I'll be glad to. Thank you. That would be great help. So that was just an example of a of a work in um, in Portuguese. Um, this is an American work. Now, it's a strange looking cover. It says Evolutional mm. Astrology oh. by Figulus. Now you might wonder who Figulus is if you don't already know. Um, mm -hmm. It was actually the pen name of Mark Edmund Jones, who was oh. one of the leading <laughs> astrologers in America of the twentieth century. And this book was published in nineteen sixteen in a limited edition, and it was actually related to, uh, I think, a, a Rosicrucian Society of America. But he had the yin yeah. yang, so interesting. Yeah, yeah very yeah. interesting. And the, the use of that name, Evolution of Astrology, is quite interesting as because well, because of... Yes. Well, we have all the evolutionary astrology appearing in the 1970s and onwards, so it's almost as though Jones was quite forward-thinking and anticipating a demand for something which would be expressed in such terms, albeit he had the ending slightly different from what was eventually used by others. But um, I, I think his actual concepts were, were pretty much um, entirely different from those that have been attached to the, the idea of evolutionary astrology since the 70s, but it's still an interesting piece of history. And he was quite a young man, I think, at that time, because... His um, his uh, lecture lessons, which I also have downstairs, he had, um, I think, 12 volumes of, of these lecture lessons on different branches of astrology. They were published in the late 1920s and early 1930s, which is over 10 years after this. I'll move on to something in German. This is the first issue of a publication um, related to one of the main um, astrological bodies in Austria. And this is from the 1950s. You get my glasses? <laughs> This was a quite a quite a long running um, periodical. So it started in the mid fifties. Mm -hmm. It carried on in, in fits and starts, and eventually changed its name to Qualität der Zeit, mm -hmm. and, um, and and it was still published under that name into the nineteen eighties. So um, it's it's quite an interesting publication. There's a lot of serious articles in there. Um, really, I need visiting scholars who are expert in German. Again, it's not one of my strongest languages. My strongest languages, apart from English, are actually French and Swedish. Mm -hmm. I did a degree in um, French, and I studied Swedish in Sweden to an advanced level at a later date. But I took German only to GCSE, which is age 16. So um, I think that there are a lot of resources in German here, which will be great for a German expert to come and, and, and research at some stage. So that would be very yeah. interesting. Yes. Yes. Uh, for for the, the Astra project, the project in which we are included, the Astra project mm -hmm. is um, studying only uh, until the 17th century because we we are right. working from the perspective of history of science yes. and. From late 17th century onwards, astrology is no longer fitted in, in the history of science per se, right. although as right. history of astrology. 
but we do think, as we were discussing earlier, that there is a whole modern history of astrology from 18th century onwards that still needs to be done and needs to be written. Yeah, yes. as we need to yeah. understand the impact of astrology in earlier periods and the importance, yes. that, the core uh, importance that it had throughout our cultural history. Absolutely. We also need to understand exactly how that that in that presence of astrology lingered on and, and continued uh, after the yeah. it, its downfall as. Mm -hmm a scientific explanation of the world at the same and I think that your, that's where your, where your, your library mostly true. comes into yes. being because you yes. do have the resources for that. What I would, would also say is that although in academia the history of science may not be considered to be um, something that, that really um, is something you can discuss where astrology is concerned um, beyond the end of the 17th century, in actual fact astrologers of the um, early to mid 20th century, many of them took the scientific credentials of astrology Absolutely. and investigating it empirically extremely seriously. And mm -hmm. um, yeah. although there was this one uh, more esoteric branch um, that was popular, people who had joined um, the Theosophical Societies um, mm -hmm. coming into astrology that way, there were also people who were approaching astrology in a completely different manner, starting with um, Paul Schwarzenegger, really, mm -hmm. um, and continuing with Karl Ernst Kraft, uh, Leon Lasson, and eventually Michel and Françoise Gauquelin. It was, it was predominantly a, a, a French-speaking tradition in the early part of the 20th century, but um, there was this, this big statistical research movement, and that actually does, in my view, um, belong to the history of science because it's scientific research, albeit in an area that is frowned upon by modern science. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That that is why we are a bit restricted. My, well, I'm I'm a medievalist, so I am. Yeah, I can't study whatever I want, but still, <laughs> I am I am mainly a medievalist, and I love it. Mm -hmm. But uh, what uh, what we think should be done is that um, eventually, in time, astrology would become like a field of its own. The history of astrology. Independent, yeah. the history of astrology, yeah. independent of science or other things, because right. uh, there's a lot of good work um, regarding astrology from the perspective of uh, sociology or other areas. Yeah. But you always, art, yeah. art history, but you yeah. always approach astrology from some kind of angle and yeah. seldom by itself. Mm -hmm. yes. I mean, in yes. academia, I mean, in academia. That's true, yes. yes. So probably what we need is to think in time of um, like a more independent uh, field of study. <laughs> Which can then gather everything. It can be transversal in terms of, of timeline and we could do the antiquity to the, the, the current. Yeah. Uh, so uh, yes, I'm, sure, I'm sure you're aware there's, there's already this concept of cultural astrology related to cultural astronomy. And um, that, I think, is fairly broad. Mm -hmm. But perhaps there needs to be something even broader than that. So that's an open question. Yeah. It needs to be unapologetic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it, but there's still a lot of work to do that. And, and uh, the problem with academic field studies is that they have to prove themselves. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Astrology yeah. As itself, as an academic subject, took almost a century to prove himself and, still, and even so and still today we there yeah. are some 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 
some resistance to it, uh, but yeah. it's still it's completely different. So it takes time for these study fields to be introduced and, and to gain their own weight. Uh, yes, but I can give you a very practical example. Every time that we, both of us, have to uh, present a lecture yes. anywhere, in the planet, we have to, to begin with this disclaimer, like, look, what we know of astrology today is different from uh, what we are going to present. There's a big yeah. difference between, let's say, sun sign astrology and what we are going to present. And we, every single time, we have to do something mm -hmm. like this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Even when people say, like, yeah, thank you, we know, we know this, and but still, you know, there's, there's this need. And uh, ideally, uh, there, we will come to a point that this is not necessary. Mm -hmm. But Yes, I, I certainly agree with that. There is a lot of um, popular ignorance about what astrology truly encompasses. A lot of people, even people who are academics within scientific fields, Absolutely. who really have very, very little knowledge of the history of astrology or... Um, anything to do with it. Having said that, I would say overall, the place of astrology in academia has ostensibly improved within the last 30 years. There have been far more publications, far more serious academic studies, critical editions of source texts and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So in some ways, it's actually not academia which is lagging behind now, but it's popular consciousness and perhaps general understanding among people who have a scientific background in particular of what astrology really is about, because mm -hmm. one constantly sees these, these straw man dismissals of astrology which are based on nothing but ignorance. Absolutely, yes. But sometimes it's not even... Weak. Well, it's easy to point the finger at... People don't know, so they are. But sometimes it's even people who call themselves practitioners that are like um, cultivating this misinformation. So yeah. it is it is a difficult field. It is difficult. Yes. So yeah. That's something to to. Be it is important to have these collections and to have yeah. this. And I'm I'm uh, now I'm really fascinated with the uh, 17th to <laughs> 20th century period because there's so much yet yeah. to know. I, I wanted to give just one more example of a book in a different language, and that is um, it's the first journals that were edited by uh, Gustave Lombard Brahi, who was one of the leading Belgian astrologers of the 20th century. This is La Revue. Belge d'Astrologie Moderne. Mm. I'll just hold that up to the camera. That's the very first. D'Astrologie Moderne. You can see the title very clearly. Not yeah. the small letter. Yeah. What is the year? I cannot see it. It's 1926. December 26. Yeah. Oh, great. Yes. That's right. And that continued in print through to... It's one of the, the rare um, continental astrology magazines that survived the um, beginning of the Second World War. It mm -hmm. was still in publication on and off until 1943. And then finally it did have to pause. So I don't know quite how they did that. There's a story behind that, but I need to remind myself that they, they managed to carry on when almost all the others had stopped. And mm -hmm. I've collected pretty much all the pre-war and within the Second World War issues. So you get this fascinating interplay just around the late 1930s and early 1940s between astrological periodicals and politics, because obviously it was a time of great turbulence, particularly in Europe. And um, so I think that's another specialist area which um, really needs more study. And I've tried to collect as many as possible of the, of the periodicals from that time period, partly mm -hmm. for that reason. Yeah.
Yeah, yeah. That's, the, that's, the interest that's in uh, the horoscopes of uh, political leaders and events and everything, uh, we can also see this in uh, in a very uh, minute way in in Lisbon. Yes, yes. once <laughs> uh, many years ago, we we went to we were trying to reconstruct um, what we could find of uh, astrological practice of early 20th century here in Portugal. So, so we can have a, an historical idea of what was happening and we, we couldn't finish that but we did have access to the theosophical society's library at the right. time yeah, and yes. we did find that they would have uh, not sure, astrological yeah, meetings i'm uh, <laughs> uh, not sure if they were classes because no one really knew and the records mm -hmm. are confused um but we knew and there was this uh, yeah there was this remark on uh, 34 i think 1934 they had this meeting meeting and yeah. then they were going to discuss and they, that's what they were saying i'm paraphrasing but they were going to to talk about the, the chart Holocaust. of the new chancellor of germany right. in which they had uh, strong hopes for the future and this is quite <laughs> precious uh, well, that's ironic with hindsight isn't it everything yeah. everything <laughs> looks different with hindsight but it's very naive but they were really you know hopeful about yeah. it. but it's exactly. interesting to see uh, a practice then we will be seeing in every period uh, of yes. logical practice because you have that in antiquity you have that in medieval times and you have that especially in the early modern period where you already have organized collections of famous nativities uh, and, and you see this practice and these needs to uh, investigate with astrology and the, what, and the political events and, and the, the charts of the, of the, of the rulers and of yeah. the people in power. And, so and people really, and this is one thing that really fascinates me about astrology, uh, whether it is mainstream or not, and sometimes it was even dangerous to, to be an astrologer or to practice, mm -hmm. we see people that are completely passionate about it. Yeah, and they feel, and they want to go about it uh, scientifically. Yeah, and yeah. they want to do it seriously. And that's, that's very, very interesting. Mm -hmm. yeah, we yeah. find this in every period mm -hmm. and in every uh, country. Yes, yes. And that's, that's very true. And I think... Um, it's one of the narratives about the history of modern astrology until recently, which I would dispute, and by the sound of it, you would dispute too, Helena, has been that um, that there was high astrology until um, the mid-17th century, and then you had any low astrology, which was popularized form with almanacs and so on. But actually, when you look a little bit, bit deeper, there were these very serious intellectuals throughout the ages who were studying astrology as a, as a serious discipline. And, I, uh, I agree with you. I completely agree. Mm. Yes, yes. Yeah, the, the, the popular, the, the thing is that the press made the almanacs very popular. So we have, mm -hmm. they are more visible for us. Mm. It doesn't mean that uh, there was not uh, other uh, kinds of practice. It's just That's that right. the almanacs are visible. Yeah, and we have always the, the, the terrible tendency to simplify things a little bit. And then what you call is what our, our um, the, the head of our department calls an unchallenged uh, belief. Uh, so right. we have this assumption uh, that this is what's happening and yeah. no one has really challenged it. Is it really like this or do we have a more complex picture? As we and that's that's one, of the, one of the things I, I very much um, can relate to that you just said because there are all these received histories of modern astrology 
and um, you can read them and, and get valuable insights from them, but they're not perfect. They were limited by the resources that were available to those historians at the time they wrote them. And for that reason, despite their best efforts, they do get some things wrong and, and make some assumptions, which actually, oh, yeah. when you have access to a fuller range of primary source material, you can disprove. And um, I, I've been actually discovering several of the uh, assumptions that were widely uh, reproduced in 20th century histories of astrology to be at best inaccurate at worst um completely erroneous yes yes absolutely mm -hmm. and uh, also um any historian myself included has bias we have all, yes. uh, all some sort of bias either in favor or against and for a long time historians had to detach themselves from astrology i mean historians of astrology Yes. And they would begin their books like, I'm not an astrologer, uh, this is like superstitious and blah, blah, blah. And, for, and then they, they could not really give the text the respect and the, the love that they need to, to yeah. you know, to, to, to be studied. And so this is something that we, we have to be aware of for ourselves as historians also. Yeah. But uh, this is something that we have to take into account yeah. when we read old books also. And, um, uh, well, there are a lot of um, yeah. <laughs> examples. We always have to have that, that openness to uh, challenge our, our own, our uh, own beliefs, <laughs> beliefs and, and, and information because with new, uh, new data, so all of a sudden we can completely blow, uh, blow out an idea that we had already yeah. solidified in us. And that's a, yeah. a, a big challenge as a researcher. But for historians, uh, although that's kind of disheartening for a moment, yeah. it's great you know it's something oh, that yes. we found out it's exciting the whole process of discovering bits yeah. of history which haven't really been written about or have been misunderstood or forgotten and mm -hmm. i think it's very much the same satisfaction that archaeologists get when they mm -hmm. discover for instance evidence of um of um, ancient human species that um, that have gone extinct and um, the whole received history of, of the development of um, of our species has, has been radically rewritten in the last 25 years. Yeah, that's very exciting. Yeah. And yeah. that's yeah. one of the good parts of being an historian yeah. or an anthropologist. Or <laughs> a researcher. <laughs> or a researcher, researcher in yeah, general. It's the, the and I, I thought, like, I would like to, uh, I don't know, challenge you for one thing. Have you thought of writing a book? I have actually. Um, I've written, so far I've written mainly individual studies, articles, and in one case a lecture I presented at um, Perugia in Italy um, on very specific facets of the history of modern astrology. I do have enough material to compile into a book mm -hmm. and um, I'm interested in getting that published, um, if not this year, certainly next. And I'll continue to work on, on articles. Um, I haven't thought so much about a single book on a single historical theme yet, mm -hmm. because I find so many different little episodes and features and aspects of astrology individually and separately interesting. But um, I've reached about 100,000 words in my published articles so far. So I think that's enough for a, a small book right. of essays. <laughs> yes, it is. And you yeah. don't have to, to restrict your book for, to one topic. It can be like, as you said, like... A, a collection of articles exactly. yes. Yes. of yes. different, it's also different format that's, that can work very well. It works very well, especially mm -hmm. you, you see the readers, sometimes they, they can look, they can browse through the, the index and see like this is very interesting for me or yeah. that is. So I'm completely in favor of collections of articles. Mm -hmm. 
Well, there are a lot of them in, in academia as well, a lot of academic presses that um, produce collections of previously disparately published articles by particular scholars and even within the history of astrology it's great to have those volumes in the library because you can get valuable resources um, that, that, are, that, are, that are widely cited just, just on the shelves that way. Obviously increasingly a lot of academic articles being posted online but um, I would say that's far from comprehensive so it's still good to have the published volumes if you can. Yes, yes. I was going to ask you two things uh, related to what we're talking about. And do you also have, you have, of course, astrology uh, source material. Do you also have studies on astrology? So you do, does the library also collect? Um, Absolutely. I've collected as much as possible of the academic literature on astrology since the early 2000s, including secondhand volumes. Um, it, there was a time in the 2000s when, because I had um, inherited a little bit of money from um, my grandmothers, that was when I really took off into getting the more expensive materials, such as some 17th century printings and also the academic source text. And having started the academic source text, I felt, well, I've got to do this properly now. So I have collected those in all modern European languages that, as far as possible, that have been available. Some of them are already out of print before um, I was able to get a copy and um, some of those are still very, very hard to get secondhand. So I have to keep my eyes open for some from the 90s, for instance. I think it's also possible that the um, number of academics who've studied the history of astrology has increased since the 80s, since the 90s even, to the point that what was an adequate supply for academic libraries and for private scholars in the 90s is no longer an, ad an adequate supply of those books. And as a result, they become ridiculous scarce and expensive to get hold of second hand but um, I've, I've done my best with that mm -hmm. okay and what about digital um, resources do you also uh, collect those do you have those are more difficult to, to yes produce? well there's, there's a small number of um, sources which I haven't been able to find in print form but which have been made available as free scans from um, university libraries in the United States and public libraries in the United States. And so obviously I've downloaded those to my computer. I do try and collect physical sources as far as possible. I've also digitized quite an extensive range of um, out-of-copyright sources that are in English. I haven't done the Latin ones or any other languages yet. Um, and um, um, I made those available on, on DVD compilations. I did that several years ago, actually, um, when I was living in Sweden, and um, it was just a, a small business at the time. Um, and so that really, that really takes in the 17th century English works, the 19th century English and American works, um, and that's about it so far, uh, plus also um, more or less the complete run of the periodicals that were edited by Alan Leo and the Astrologer's Magazine, Modern Astrology. I compiled those onto two DVDs by scanning every single issue. So, mm -hmm. Oh, mm -hmm. yes. Well, it is, it is a great yeah, collection. Yeah, it is. Um, and now I'm going to ask a crucial uh, <laughs> question that we have forgotten so far, which is where is your library located oh, yes. and how can people sure. access it? Okay, it's in a, a small city called Newport in southeast Wales in the United Kingdom. Mm -hmm. which fortunately has very good road and rail access. The um, M4, one of the leading motorways um, from London, goes right past and um, there's the direct trains all the way through to London as well. So although it's in Wales, it's actually only um, two and a half hours by train away. So it's really 
more convenient you might think and it's literally within a 20 minute walk from the central station of Newport now obviously we have a peculiar situation on our hands at the moment with the pandemic situation so provisionally I am discouraging people from visiting this year mm -hmm. I would like to um, wait until it's clearly safe and people don't have to worry about infection and masks and things like that mm -hmm. so probably it will be next year before I actually open to visitors again okay. Okay. Yeah, okay. and if one wants to visit and wants to go to Ryan when will you reopen safely uh, just you just have to contact you through your website, you uh, which your I'll, I'll leave in the your, description. Your exactly, and, and, and it would be helpful to have a little bit of background on your research interests. Um, if you're, if you're um, tenured academically, that would be good to know about um, what, your, what your position is. Um, if, if not, then what your private research interests may be. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, I, I need to, um, to just really understand what your needs are so that I can prepare um, in terms of having the sources ready for your visit. Um, there are two um, nice pine reading tables so I can actually, um, one in each of the larger library rooms downstairs so I can actually get sources ready in advance for visits so you don't have to kind of search all the shelves for them and waste time when you could be doing research of your own. Right. Okay. Right. And you have an online catalogue, if I'm not... That's right, yes. Um, the catalogue, it's, it's quite a bit of work, but I've got an offline version, and then every time I make changes to that, um, I then um, edit the HTML pages accordingly so that it's, it's pretty much entirely duplicated online um, at, the, at slash astrology hyphen bibliography within my domain name, astroland.com. Okay. okay, perfect, perfect. Now we have all, all the technical, <laughs> important part also also covered. Okay, great. Okay, so um, I think. Well, yeah. Uh, what we have to do is to thank you for all the effort because I yes. know how much, and not only in uh, resources but also in energy and emotional investment there is in a collection. So, I think it is more than fair that we all thank you mm -hmm, yeah. by uh, for your effort and for this wonderful collection. And I'm sure future researchers will also thank you. <laughs> yeah, I am. <laughs> well, thank you both for your kind words, and thank you very much again for inviting me on your podcast. It's been a, a great honor and a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Yes. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And well, we hope to see you perhaps another time when you we have something to, to talk about, or, or there's a book, a new book in your collection, a new change. And I look forward to that very much. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye.